love that song, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. Have you ever come across a person who was a great person of faith? I think of Adoniram Judson when he was planning to go to Burma. Before he did, he wanted to get married to a lady by the name of Anne. And before he did that, he felt he needed to ask Anne's father for permission in marriage. And when he did, he, he asked if he would be willing to give up his daughter to the treachery of the sea as they were going to sail over there, to persecution once they got there, to illness, and perhaps even a violent death. And he said, would you be willing to give up your daughter to that kind of lifestyle, to perhaps never see her again until you see her in glory with, with all the people who, whom God had ransomed in that cold land of Burma. And you know, all those things that, that Adoniram Judson suggested that may happen to his wife, they all happened, except for one. She did not, she did not, did not die a violent death, but she did suffer persecution. She, di she died of a, of a severe illness. And when we look at people like that, we think, what great people of faith. They, they walk into difficult situations. They, they walk into opposition. And yet they still believe that God is great, that God is powerful, and that God can deliver. And he can accomplish what he wants to through those people. Their faith was more than just something they talked about. It was something that they acted upon. And today we're going to see that God's promise of success demands our faith. And specifically, living by faith may include opposition. And next week we'll see that living by faith always results in God's favor. So let's read in Joshua chapter 2. And we're going to see the great faith of his servant Rahab. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1. Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of, har of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman who had taken the two men had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, 
to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household, and give me a pledge of truth. And spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Now when we look at this, the story of Rahab, we think wicked sinner and liar. But when we see the, the story as, as Joshua writes it, what we should see is Rahab, a person who was saved by God's mercy and who acted in faith. Rahab was a person who lived by faith. And so today I want to look at two main points. First, the action of Rahab's faith, and second, the expression of Rahab's faith. The action of Rahab's faith is found in the first seven verses. And this is the idea that she welcomed the spies. In verse 1, Joshua had sent these men as spies secretly from Shittim. And so... Before we get to the person Rahab, we find that Joshua is doing some military strategy. He's trying to figure out what needs to be done specifically to the city of Jericho. He says, go view the land, especially Jericho, to find out what was their weakness. What were their strengths? What kind of opposition would we have when we went up to them? Now, when we look at something like that, we think, Joshua, how weak is your faith? But is that a legitimate question? Was Joshua being weak in faith because he spied out the land? Did not God already promise him the land? Certainly he did. But Joshua didn't know how he was going to be how Israel was going to be delivered. He did not know how Jericho was going to fall. And so the knowledge of this strategic city was essential essential to conquest. You see Faith does not preclude, but it includes duty. We can't just say uh, some mystical thing like, like, I believe that God will do something. We also have to act on what we believe, don't we? And so Joshua acted. In fact, this is the same thing that's true for us. The Lord taught us through his disciples, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11, he said that, that we should pray for our daily provision, right? Give us this day our daily bread. But Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8, those who do not provide for their own are worse than what? An unbeliever. So see, Jesus says we need to have faith that God will provide. But Paul says one of the ways in which he provides for us is by our duty, our action. And so we can't just sit back and expect God to do everything. He expects us to work on his behalf, doesn't he? Because if we fail in this duty to provide for our families, then 
basically we have denied the faith, haven't we? It proves that we never really had faith when our faith doesn't work. And so for Joshua, I don't think it was unwise for him to send these spies over into Jericho. I mean, after all, for all we know, Joshua may have thought that this was a command from God. He may have recognized that this was a command from God because remember, 38 years earlier, he had been sent along with 11 other spies, including Caleb, to spy out Kadesh Barnea, to find out what the land was like. And at that time, 10 spies came back, obviously with a bad report, and said there's no way we can defeat them. So Joshua understood that God had told them to go spy out the land. Obviously, the first spying 38 years earlier was a failure, wasn't it? It was a failure. So now he's spying uh, and doing it the right way. So I think we can uh, totally see the justification of Joshua spying out the land. And we could say that Joshua was acting in faith. So the spies crossed the Jordan here in verse 1. And obviously, they didn't know how they were going to cross the whole people of Israel across this Jordan River. Um, so the spies probably weren't able to swim across or, or anything like that. They probably had to walk up several miles up the river to where it was a lot uh, shorter distance to get across. They made it across and then probably had to walk several miles back down south because Jericho was, was pretty much right across where they were on the east side of the Jordan. And then we come to this character Rahab in the first verse. It says, the second part says, So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Rahab here, as you can tell from our reading, is the main character of the story, isn't she? In fact, the spies do not actually speak in this, this uh, portion of Scripture. They don't speak at all. It's all Rahab. She's the one doing all the speaking. The story seems to revolve around her. So we need to find out who is this character, Rahab. Was she a prostitute? Or was she simply just a hostess or an innkeeper or something like that? Well, some have argued that, well, she was, this word can rather be used for more like an innkeeper, that she would uh, take visitors in and, and uh, run something similar to our hotel. But the verb form of this word refers to someone who commits multiple acts of fornication. In fact, every time the word harlot is used in Scripture, it is used of a person who, who frequently and professionally commits acts of adultery. So we can say clearly that Rahab, when, when she is referred to in this passage as a harlot, that she indeed was a prostitute. That was her uh, profession. So why would the spies go there to this house of a prostitute? Were they trying to uh, fulfill some, some sensual gratification of their own? What was going on here? Well, remember, these are spies, and I think there's three reasons why we can say that they went to the house of the prostitute. One, they were trying to be inconspicuous, right? They're not trying to announce their presence. Hey, we're from Israel. We're about to attack you. No, they, they wanted to be inconspicuous. So one of the first places that a stranger would go would be the house of, of, of a prostitute or, or a place that was not used just for prostitution, but it was also uh, used for lodging. So they were trying to be undetected. 
And if you remember from later on in the story when we get to the Battle of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6, we find out that this house was actually built on the wall. So how would that help them? It would give them an easy means of escape. In case they became detected, they could quickly get out of there. And the third reason is not unfolded until we get to later on in the passage. We find out that the reason God allowed them to go to this place was because God was going to use this sinner to save them, to protect them. And so although Rahab may not have known what God was going to do through her, and although the spies may not have known, God did use this woman, Rahab, to save them. And in all of this story, we should be able to see the providence of God. Because we can be sure that had these scouts gone to to any other house, they certainly would have been betrayed. They certainly would have been put to death without mercy. But God knew where they had a friend, didn't he? He knew that they had a friend in this woman who, who once was a wicked person. And he directed them there. And so sometimes the things that seem to us most contingent or accidental are the things that God uses in his divine providence to accomplish his purpose in our lives. God guides with his eye. And he did it for these spies. We should also see God's providence in saving Rahab. Not only did Rahab, did God use Rahab to save the spies, but the, God used the spies to save Rahab. We'll get to that at the end, but we, we saw this, this uh, agreement that they had together. And by the way, God did not spare Rahab because of what he foresaw that she would do. Oh, she is going to help them, so I will save her. No, God saved her for the very same reason that he saved you and me. Not because of anything we done, we had done. Because of his mercy. God is merciful to sinners. And I think if we see nothing else, we should see that in this story. That we were all enemies of God, just as Rahab was. Living in evil sin. You say, well, I never did anything as bad as Rahab did. doesn't matter. All of your sin before God is as filthy rags. And he must punish it. And so as a result, we are all enemies of his before he saves us. And so God looked down on this evil woman. And he saved her. We will see the expression of her salvation later. But we find in the story in verse 2 that it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So the spies are noticed. And then the spies are sought after in verse 3. The king of Jericho says, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. So we get to the climax of the story. What is going to happen to these spies? They are here from Israel, and, and they are about to, to attack. The whole company of Israel was about to attack. And the Canaanites knew it. They knew that God was in control. And what was going to happen to these spies? Were they going to be protected? Or were they going to be discovered? Well, we find in verse 4 that Rahab protected the spies 
And I think even though we talk often about her lies and what she did, I think the focus of what Joshua is, is trying to show us here is that the focus should be on, on her faith. Why? Well, because she protected the spies at the risk of her own life. What would happen if Rahab had protected these enemies, the spies, and she got found out that she was protecting the enemy? What would happen to Rahab? She certainly would have been slaughtered by the king and his men, wouldn't she? It's treason to betray your own country and protect these spies. That's what she was doing. So I think the focus of the passage is more on her faith rather than the lie. And we'll get into um, the lying and whether or not that's right. So um, the application, I think, here is that, is that the sudden and total allegiance demonstrated by Rahab is precisely the repentance that's demanded by Christ. You see, we were living in a land of evil, weren't we, before we were saved? And God demanded of us that we turn from them, from that lifestyle, that we turn from it and repent. And this is what Rahab's doing. She's repenting from everything that she had done. She's repenting of all the allegiances that she once had and now was putting her allegiance with the God of Israel. And when God saves us, we are to do the same thing. We turn from our sin. We turn from the, the grip that we have on this evil world. And we now turn towards God. So God's uh, work of mercy demands that we repent. In fact, Jesus demanded it in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his brother, his sister, his mother, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus demands more than we just say a few words. We have to uh, change our lives. And, and that is a work that God starts in us and we uh, continue by His grace. So in verse 5, we come to the uh, pursuers uh, are at the door of Rahab and they found out that these two spies were here at one time and Rahab diverts them. Look at verse 5. It says, It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. And, and this is uh, Rahab speaking, I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So, the big question that I hope you all came up with as you were reading through this and as you were thinking about this story was, was Rahab justified in her lie? I mean, after all, the spies would have been killed if she told the truth, right? This has been a, a topic of discussion for centuries. In fact, we, call it, we commonly call it situational ethics. That is, Rahab's lie was ethically justified. Why? Because of her particular situation. You see, because, because she was doing something that was ultimately good, right? Protecting the spies who happened to be a part of God's uh, plan. So, so is it okay to lie in a circumstance like that? We call that situational ethics. But as I said, the point of this passage is not regarding her lie. I think Joshua is simply stating that she, she lied. And by the way, she did indeed lie. Because right after she gets done talking, what happens? Look at verse 6. 
but she had brought them up on the roof and hidden them in the stalks. She indeed knew where, where these men were. Okay, so it's clearly a lie. But the question we have is, is, is it okay to lie if ultimately we're trying to bring about good for the sake of God? You see, Rahab, when she lied, probably did not see evil in her act. She probably thought it was a choice between two evils. Okay, I have a choice to either tell the truth and allow these guys to die. That would be evil. Or I could uh, lie, which is evil, and protect these guys. So I have a choice between two evils. So in that case, since I only have a choice between two evils, I should lie so that the ultimate truth uh, happens. But let's be clearing. Let's be clear here that all lying is sinful. All lying is sinful because God condemns it. In the Old Testament, they they knew they should have known from the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter twenty, verse sixteen: Do not bear false witness. Do not lie. And we have that same commandment for us in the New Testament. Turn with me to First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter 3. God condemns lying for us as well. Verse 15. Peter says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks, to give you an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience... So that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile you, revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Peter says, even when it comes to the gospel message, you should not embellish it, you should not change it, soften it, water it down. Why? Because the gospel message can stand on its own. And there are several other passages like we read during our scripture reading time that talk about the condemnation against lying. We are not to lie. And I think we all know this is true um, because let's imagine that Jesus Christ were in that situation. The spies came to the house of Jesus Christ. Would Christ have lied in in order to protect those spies? I hope we all would say no. Christ would never have lied. He cannot. That's part of his character. He cannot sin. So, you say, well, that's not really fair. Because Christ could have easily used his power against those evil men, the pursuers, and he could have just wiped them out. So he didn't have to lie. But we have to remember that Jesus did not wield his power like he was some sort of a Jedi from Star Wars, you know, they come to the door and they say something like, hey, we're looking for these spies. And he says, no, you're not looking for these spies. And they say, we're not looking for these spies. And they walk away. Jesus didn't wield his power like that. In fact, we know from Philippians 2 that Jesus gave up the independent use of his attributes, meaning he submitted himself to the will of his Father so that he would do what God wanted him to do. I mean, we think of him on the cross. Would he, he could have easily called 10,000 angels and wiped out all those people, but what was he doing? 
He was submitting himself to the will of the Father. And so although we kind of excuse uh, we, we kind of excuse that argument that Jesus would not have uh, lied because he had all this power, I think that's a, an invalid one to use. Jesus definitely would not have lied, and so neither should we in that situation. And in fact, to lie because we're protecting someone, the problem was is that Rahab assumed that God could not have protected them another way. She thought that she had to take the place of God. Okay, I have these two spies that are they're in my care. I need to take care of them. I need to protect them. So, the only choice I have is to lie. But the problem is with her assumption. Her assumption is that God could not protect them another way. Could God have protected them another way? What if God wanted them to be killed? She didn't know that. You see, this is the part in the story where Rahab was weak in her faith. Overall, she's commended for her faith. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I'll show you that. Overall, she's commended for her faith. But in this case, this part of the story, she is not commended for her lie. That is not part of her faith. That is where she was weak in faith. And, in fact, we will see from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31 that she was not commended for her lie. By faith, Hebrews 11:31. by faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Now, if she were commended for her lies, we may expect something like Rahab was, uh, did not perish after she had protected the spies. But it wasn't her protection that, that was, that was uh, rewarded or commended. It was her action of faith that she welcomed them, that she did not betray them. And so our job is not to act in the place of God. God has purposes that we do not know. Some of his purposes we do know. But he has many that we do not know, doesn't he? God's ways are not our ways. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's ways are higher than ours. And so we should not take that place of God. If we are put in a difficult situation, we must do right at all costs. We must represent the truth. So we'll, we'll come back to that um, at the end, but... We find back in Joshua chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7 that the spies are protected. And I would say that they're protected by God and his providence. And then we come to the second part of the story, which is the expression of Rahab's faith. Verses 8 through 14. Rahab was a woman who feared God. Look at verse 8. Now before they, they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. You see, she had a recognition of what God had done. This was her personal confession. And if we look throughout the book of Joshua, as we studied before, one of the key themes in the book of Joshua is that 
God will give them the land. Rahab, a person who was on the side of the enemy, recognized this truth, that God was going to give them the land. And so that was her personal confession. Now there's a national confession, uh, a Canaanite confession that she gives at the end of verse 9. And she says, and, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings who were beyond the Jordan. She said, not only do I recognize this, but our whole nation recognizes your God and what he has done. We've seen his works, and we recognize that he is powerful and that he can conquer us. But I don't think their, the, the nation's confession of faith was a personal relationship with, with God. It wasn't a salvific confession. It was simply a fear of God, of what he could do. Rahab's, however, I believe was a legitimate one, and it was it's shown by her response to what God has done and also by her act of faith. Verse 11 shows us her, uh, first it shows the national response. How did they respond? When Canaan heard it, our hearts melted and no longer remained any man any longer because of you. And no courage remained any, in any man any longer. So they were afraid. Okay, but notice her confession at the end of verse 11. She says, For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So she recognizes that God is not just the God of Israel. He is the God of everything. And that strong affirmation from her came in the middle of a culture full of multiple gods. I mean, this is an amazing statement if you think about it. Remember the very first time we talked about Joshua, we said that the Canaanite religion was just uh, a... a uh, just a debauched religion. It was pathetic how, how much they hated God. And they had all these pantheons of gods at their disposal, and they would add them to um, their service, and they would worship them, and, and they would commit acts of adultery and murder and all these other things for their gods. She was living among this culture. She was living in this culture. And yet God saw fit to choose her to salvation. God saw fit for, for her to respond in faith to his grace. And so we see that Rahab did have true faith in God, obviously from Hebrews chapter 11, but also from here. This is how she, she expresses her faith. In verses 12 through 14, we see that Rahab believed God. And in her faith, there was evidence of... of uh, of true faith because of this request that she asked for in verses 12 and 13. Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's household. She was asking for an oath of loving kindness, an oath that Israel would have to, if they agreed to it, they would have to keep, that God would protect her and her household through Israel. That's what she was asking for. So this is an expression of her faith. And then in verse 14, we see this amazing promise 
by these men. They say so. It says, So the men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours. And it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land, that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So these men <clears throat> recognized her faith. They recognized that they should respond in kind to what she had done for them. And they offer her this oath of loving kindness. And they say, Since you have done this, we will, as a result, protect you and your family. And this was a promise that, that Joshua and Israel would have to agree to now because these spies had made this covenant with her. So this story is an intriguing one to, to me. I think it probably is to you. We often look at life, at, at her life, and we think, you know, what she did was fine because that was an extreme situation. And if we were put in that situation, I think we would do the same thing. But I want to be clear that God does not commend her for her lying. God commends her for her faith. She was not helping God there. God could have protected them any way he wanted to. But as we know from Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, God often, often accomplishes evil, even this, or accomplishes good even despite our evil. And, in fact, when I said that, that she, she may have thought that she only had two choices, evil and, and uh, a greater evil, I think that's not true. I think we always have the choice to do right. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has been given you, except as is common to man. And God is faithful that with each temptation, He will provide a way of escape. He will provide a way of escape with each one. There's always opportunity to do right. We are never justified in doing wrong in order to do something better for God. You know, God gives us this commission that we need to reach people for Christ. And God desires that they hear the gospel. So we decide, you know what? We need to get people into the church. We need to get people in here. So, you know, one way that we could do that is we could bring in some of the most beautiful women in town with barely any clothes on, and I think we'd get a lot of people to come to our church. You say, well, that's ridiculous. No church would ever do that. Well, I can tell you that there's a church in our area who did that very thing in order to bring people into their service. And their gospel message was not very different from ours in word. They had this uh, survivor theme. If you know the reality show Survivor, it usually takes place on a beach. And so they wanted to make it as authentic as possible. So they decorated the whole set and brought in some scantily clad women and used that as a means to get the gospel to these people. Now we ask ourselves, was that right? Their ultimate purpose was good, right? They're getting the gospel to these people. But God demands more than that we have a good purpose. God demands that we follow his divinely ordained methods as well. So we cannot misrepresent the truth. And that's what the, these people did. 
They are misrepresenting the truth. They're saying the gospel is something that we can, uh, we can use this, these means of entertainment in order to reach these people. And they wonder why the Spirit doesn't take root in these people's lives who make this response uh, to the gospel, response in quotations. You may think, well, if, well, what if I lose my job because I have to protect the truth? So what? What God do you serve? Can't God provide for you? You say, well, what if I lose a large amount of money in order to protect the truth, in order to, to, to follow God's commands? I can't do that. That's, that's like the lesser of two evil. You say, well, I was going to use this money for God's work. But you know what? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if he needed money, he could just sell a couple of those, couldn't he? in order to pay for whatever he needs. God doesn't need money. You say, well, what if my family members hate me because of my stand for the truth? What if they hate me if I tell them what the gospel is really about? They'll never listen unless I, unless I soften it up a little bit. You know, we should not be worried about keeping peace with our with our uh, family members. Are you willing to give up the truth, to soften it, to change it, just in order to protect yourself or your reputation, your comforts? I mean, could you imagine if the apostles packaged the gospel like we often do? Could you imagine if, if when they had opposition coming towards them, they said, you know, if we get arrested, the gospel won't spread as much as, as if we're out on the street. So, you know what? They told us to stop, so why don't we just do it in secret? And we don't have to make such a big deal. We'll just keep the peace. We find in Luke, at the end of uh, Acts chapter 5, we find from the, the writer Luke, that they, these apostles rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. And what was the result of their persecution. Acts 6, as we studied last Sunday night, was that the gospel spread. The gospel spread. The point I'm trying to make is that God's truth must never be compromised, even when we think it's going to solve our problem. God's truth must never be compromised. God is bigger than our problems. And you may feel that, well, I'm kind of backed into this corner and there's no way of escape. I have to do one of these two evils. God always gives you a way of escape. He always does. And we must trust God for the outcome. Sometimes God does work despite our failures, like in the case of Rahab. Even though we don't do what he demands, he still may bless us. But I can give you several examples of Scripture. When people were trying to do the right thing, we call it the ends justifying the means. So no matter what it takes to get there, as long as I have a good goal in mind, it's okay. But I can give you several examples in Scripture that, where we find that that is not the case. Cain, he brought an offering to God that he thought was acceptable to God. 
I mean, ultimately, his goal was good, right? He wanted to please God. In fact, he was downcast when God didn't accept his offering in Genesis chapter 4. But God said, no, that's not what I wanted. You need to do it the right way. It's not enough just to have a good purpose. How about Uzzah? As the ark was being transferred away from the Philistines, it was on a cart. And Uzzah had the goal in mind to protect the Ark of the Covenant. Good purpose, right? But what did God do to him? He killed him on the spot because he disobeyed. He did it in the wrong way. And so when we look at a story like Rahab, we should not say, well, since God blessed, then it must be okay. That is not the case. Ultimately, this passage is about the faith of Rahab, despite significant opposition. And although we get caught up in the ethics of the situation, we must not miss the point that God is trying to make. God's promise of success demands our faith to put our trust in Him, even when we don't know the outcome. Even when we think there's no other way out, we need to trust in God. Despite the risk of our reputation, despite the risk of our lives, our, our comforts, and even our lives. How do you respond when opposition comes? Are you quick to forfeit your trust in God? May God help us to trust in Him for the means as well as the end. And when we do, we will, as we'll see next week, enjoy the favor of God. I hope that's what we all want. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we thank you for giving us wisdom as we think through these difficult topics. And we pray that you just help us, uh, even this week, as we think through these things and how they apply to our lives. We all have different circumstances um, that we are dealing with. And ultimately, we want to be our own God. We think we know what it takes to make our lives happy and pleasurable and yet we understand from the whole of Scripture that you demand more that we, than we just have a good purpose. We must follow your divinely ordained means. And so we pray that you'd help us to do that as we apply these truths to our lives. Help us to increase in our faith. Put our complete confidence in you, for you alone can protect us can lead us, and we uh, will give you the praise for it. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.